Hello and welcome to Filled with His Love. Today's going to be a little bit different episode. Most of today's episode will be excerpts I've taken from the book Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence by Ann Lemke, just released in January of 2023. So it's a new book out there and a very well done piece on addiction and how we can deal with it more effectively. Because addiction affects relationships so much, that's why I wanted to do more than one episode on this topic. So here, here we go. Here are these excerpts from her book. These are her words, Anna Lemke in Dopamine Nation. Quote, we're all running from pain. Some of us take pills. Some of us couch surf while binge watching Netflix. Some of us read romance novels. We'll do almost anything to distract ourselves from ourselves. Yet all this trying to insulate ourselves from pain seems only to have made our pain worse. The number of new cases of depression worldwide increased 50% between 1990 and 2017. The highest increases in new cases were seen in regions with the highest sociodemographic index, in, in other words, the most income, especially in North America. The question is, why, in a time of unprecedented wealth, freedom, technological progress, and medical advancement, do we appear to be unhappier and in more pain than ever? The reason we're all so miserable may be because we're working so hard to avoid being miserable. I like this. She talks a lot about this and how this avoidance of pain is such a problem for us in our society. Again, quote, dopamine is not the only neurotransmitter involved in reward processing, but most neuroscientists agree it is among the most important. Dopamine may play a bigger role in the motivation to get a reward than the pleasure of the reward itself. Okay, that, that takes a little bit of thinking, but she goes on to explain, wanting more than liking. Genetically engineered mice, this is a great example, unable to make dopamine, will not seek out food, and will starve to death, even when food is placed just inches from their mouth. Yet, if food is put directly into their mouth, they will chew it and eat it and seem to enjoy it. Debates about differences between motivation and pleasure, notwithstanding, dopamine is used to measure the addictive potential of any behavior or drug. The more dopamine a drug releases in the brain's reward pathway, a brain circuit that links the ventral tegumental area, the nucleus accumbens, and the prefrontal cortex, and the faster it releases dopamine, the more addictive the drug. So this is a very interesting thing. In other words, dopamine uh, and its secretion in our brain rules us more than we might know. The paradox, again from her book, the paradox is that hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure for its own sake, leads to anhedonia, which you probably never heard of, but anhedonia is the inability to enjoy pleasure of any kind. Reading had always been my primary source of pleasure and escape, the author says, so it was a shock and a grief when it stopped working. Even then, it was hard to abandon. 
she talks in the book about how she was addicted to reading romance novels and so addicted that she knew she had to give it up. And then eventually they became not pleasurable at all. So now here's some good news. My colleague, again, a quote from the book, Edie Sullivan, a world expert on alcohol's effects on the brain, has studied the process of recovery from addiction and discovered that although some brain changes due to addiction are irreversible, it is possible to detour around these damaged areas by creating new neural networks. This means that although the brain changes are permanent, we can find new synaptic pathways to create healthy behaviors. Now, here's my comment about this. This reminds me very much. In other words, she's saying that the brain is plastic. So we can never kind of come to the conclusion that because we've had an addiction, we are permanently destroyed. Our brain has been damaged so much that we cannot ever recover. This brain plasticity means that we can create new pathways in our brain. Even though those damaged pathways are still there, we can go around them with new pathways. So this reminds me very much of heart bypass surgery. The clogged arteries are left there, and the surgeon implants new arteries that are clean and clear to go around those damaged arteries. So the damage is still there, but the effects of the damage are overcome by the new arteries. So our brains, again from her book, our brains are not evolved for this world of plenty. As Dr. Tom Finucane, who studies diabetes in the set, setting of chronic sedentary feeding said, we are cacti in the rainforest, unquote. And like cacti adapted to an arid climate, we are drowning in dopamine. Now, what, what, what she's saying here, and what this uh, Dr. Finnecane is saying, is he looks at people with type 2 diabetes that cannot stop uh, ingesting foods that raise their blood sugar. The foods that raise their blood sugar, we all know sugar is quite addictive, and so because they can't stop doing this, they have a hard time stop eating not just sugars, but other foods that are high in saturated fats that make it difficult for them to overcome their type 2 diabetes. And so they keep gaining weight and the probability of diabetes increases. So it's like cacti in the rainforest. We've got so much around us, so many things that taste good and feel good and actually make us sick. Again from the book. Practicing mindfulness is something like observing the Milky Way. It demands that we see our thoughts and emotions as separate from us, and yet simultaneously a part of us. So when she's saying we, we look at the Milky Way and we're part of the Milky Way, but we can look at it out there as if it's something separate, but it's really not separate. We're part of the Milky Way. And she said that this is the same kind of thing as we look at our own thought processes. Quote, also, the brain can do some pretty weird things, some of which are embarrassing, hence the need for being without judgment. Reserving judgment is important to the practice of mindfulness, because as soon as we start condemning what our brain is doing, ugh, why would I be thinking that? Why am I such a loser, etc.? 
I'm a freak. We stop being able to observe. Now, this is what I've talked about with negative internal chatter. She's saying when that negative internal chatter starts and keeps going, we are precluded from actually reflecting on our thought processes and how we need to control them. Very important thought. Okay, now, the next thought that she gives, and I think this is the most important part of this episode, she talks about the process of self-binding. So she kind of describes how we can make a decision to rid ourselves of an addictive substance in our environment or in our thought processes. We, we take action to rid ourselves. We bind ourselves. She calls it self-binding. This is what she says. Self-binding is not primarily a matter of will, although personal agency plays some part. Rather, self-binding openly recognizes the limitations of will. The key to creating effective self-binding is first to acknowledge the loss of voluntariness we experience when under the spell of a powerful compulsion, and to bind ourselves while we still possess the capacity for voluntary choice. In other words, so before our agency is completely lost by a very addictive drug or whatever we're addicted to, when we still have the the choice, when we still can use our agency, we need to bind ourselves so that we are not tempted so much. This is a very important uh, concept, I believe. So, quote, self-binding can be organized into three broad categories, physical strategies, space, chronological strategies, time, and categorical strategies, meaning. That's a little bit hard, so let me just continue on. She explains this. Here are some examples my patients have told me about. Quote, I unplugged my TV and put it in my closet. Quote, I banished my game console to the garage. Quote, I don't use credit cards, only cash. Quote, I call hotels before to ask them to remove the minibar. Quote, I call hotels beforehand to ask them to remove the minibar and the television. Quote, I put my iPad in a safety deposit box at Bank of America. <laughs> I like that last one especially. See the banker saying, oh, you want to put your iPad in a safety deposit box? Yeah, I've got to get rid of it. It's, I'm addicted to it. So those are all her words. Here are a few words of mine. I, I, like, I really like these examples of self-binding. I like the whole notion of self-binding. If I'm trying to get rid of my addiction to peanut butter, I make sure there's no peanut butter around. This reminds me of how our missionaries helped people stop smoking. One day I told our missionaries that it might be a nice approach if when they meet somebody who is smoking at the time they meet them, in part of the conversation you could say, well, have you ever wanted to stop smoking? I told them that 80%, because this is what the research shows, 80% of the people who smoke wish they could stop. So the probability is high that the person they approach will answer in the affirmative. One set of missionaries told me how they saw a man on the sidewalk smoking, and they introduced themselves and chatted for a moment, and then asked him if he had ever wanted to quit. He said, oh, definitely. This is such a miserable habit. I wish I could quit. I've tried, and I've never succeeded. Then the missionary said, we can help you. When do you find that it's most tempting to smoke? And he, he responded with times of the day, like at lunchtime or right after dinner 
at uh, dinner time. And they said, well, we can call you right at those times and remind you that you can quit. We can also give you a blessing to help you. They went to his home, gave him a blessing, and then they taught him and his family the lessons and baptized the entire family. This man was ready to engage in self-binding, and it literally led him into the church and away from a habit he wanted to quit. So, these are a few thoughts on addiction and the power of self-binding. Self-binding, of course, is not an end-all. Uh, you need more than self-binding to stop many addictions. But it is a starting point, and it's an important one. And so I wanted to share that with you today. Hope it's helpful, and we'll see you next time.